Uh, we'll turn back in our Bibles and finish up, hopefully, Lord willing, chapter number 5 of the book of Second Corinthians, and then get back, hopefully, Wednesday night, Lord willing, back in our First Peter study, and um, continue on into First Peter. But tonight, I want to finish this uh, as we le- where we left off this morning, and go on into um, finish up chapter number 5 here. And uh, as I was thinking some this afternoon uh, of all that uh, motivated Paul to be the Christian that he was, uh, it just continued to stir my heart to be more for the Lord um, than I ever have been. I want to be challenged to be more uh, for the Lord. Every day of my life, I want to be challenged. When I come to church, I want to be challenged to be a better Christian. I want to be challenged to do more. Um, I don't want to ever uh, be uh, find my comfortable place and sit down and get comfortable and have somebody uh, stroke my ego and tell me I'm doing okay and all that. I, I want to be challenged to do more, be more. And uh, uh, that's what's going to help us in these days because uh, we all stand to uh, improve uh, in our Christian lives. I don't care how old you are in here and how long you've been saved, none of us have arrived. If Paul didn't arrive, me and you certainly haven't arrived. And so we uh, need to be challenged in our Christian lives to be more than we've ever been, especially in today's world. Uh, I I feel like, to a degree, uh, things are worse off in the world than they were under, say, Obama, the uh, times, because now we're kind of in a time period where we were uh, before this virus hit, where uh, everybody had need of nothing to a degree. Money was flowing, jobs were, uh, um, you know, readily available to anybody that wanted them, and uh, uh, we were um, quite um, uh, secure in our material things. Uh, but we have to learn, I think probably constantly, uh, to remember not to trust in uncertain riches. And uh, we can't put our uh, confidence in uh, how things are going because even uh, a man like Job learned that he uh, could still worship God in, in spite of his losses of material things. And uh, so he was able to worship. Now remember, worshiping God is not uh, outward. Worship, uh, if you see somebody raising their hand and shouting and praising, uh, and hopefully uh, God, I'll, I'll, your pastor will get right with God and I'll run every now and then. Uh, but uh, uh, if you see someone manifest those kind of things, that's not what worship is. It may be a product of the overflow of a heart of a person uh, that in abundance of the thoughts of how good God's been to him. Uh, worship's in the heart. And now when we praise and worship and shout and rejoice, those are those wonderful things and they're fitting in the worship of God. Uh, but true worship, Jesus said he's come to, uh, he said the Father seeks such to do what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. And so worship's done in the spirit. And so uh, in spite of his surroundings or uh, many times we're often, um, all of us could be guilty of this, uh, but we are uh, seem like whistling and happy and ready to roll. Uh, bills are paid. Everybody's healthy. Uh, everybody's safe. Money's in the bank. Uh, God's been good. Uh, well, um, if the bills weren't paid and everybody wasn't healthy, God's still good. See, worship can't be uh, based on things like that. Anyway, that's not the message tonight. I was just, 
You know, God deserves our worship regardless of what's going on in the world, whatever's going on in our bodies. Uh, Job could even worship God when his health was bad. Uh, his wife turned on him, his family. He lost his uh, possessions, his children. I mean, he lost basically everything. And all continuously throughout those scriptures, you could see he still had a heart to want to worship God. And uh, how many times did he say, blessed be the name of the Lord? And uh, so I, we just need to remember that in these days because I don't know uh, how much it, worse it will get and, I, and before Jesus comes. But uh, uh, it's liable to get pretty bad as you see things beginning to unfold in the Bible. Jesus said we shouldn't be ignorant of the times. And so we, we don't need to be ignorant of the times. And you can see uh, the control that is coming and creeping in uh, to the government and their infiltration into God's church and into the worship services of God before long will be like China or other places and only have a state church that's told to worship when they say it's okay to worship. And uh, I never thought you'd see anything like that, but you can see pieces of it all coming together. Uh, so anyhow, regardless of all of that, uh, we still can worship God in spite of what's going on in America. Uh, he deserves to be worshiped. And so don't forget that. Uh, so anyhow, I want to finish up 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we'll take a, continue to look at what happened to Paul, what caused Paul. And this is just a few things. Uh, obviously, there's many other things in the life of Paul uh, that um, caused him uh, to be the Christian that he was. It was a work of grace in his heart uh, that the, the Lord Jesus, he said, I have labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Uh, so if Paul was standing up here, he wouldn't necessarily say what made Paul a great Christian. He would probably say the grace of God done it. Uh, but what I'm trying to look at is what caused him uh, to be uh, so sold out to Christ? What caused him to be willing to die to himself the way that he did and live and really abandon himself to Christ the way that he did and have such a heart for sinners, such a love for other people that he could say he would wish himself a curse for his kinsmen? Uh, now, that's a great love and a great burden that he has. Um, I, I know some, uh, some people, uh, some men that don't even have that kind of burden for their own children. Uh, they don't care enough about their souls to even take them to church. Uh, so, but Paul had such a love for people that he said, I'd wish myself to curse for them. And uh, so what caused that? What caused that? Did he have something special that we don't have? Uh, that sort of thing. And so we began to look in chapter number five at just three things uh, that caused that. When he looked at his future, he saw his security, he saw the judgment seat. Then we got down uh, around to verse number, let's, we can start verse number 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter number five. And see that Paul, uh, what motivated him, what caused him was when he began to look at dead sinners. And so uh, this caused something in him uh, when he started in verse number 13. He said, whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Whether we be sober, it is for your cause. And then we ended here, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, that word's also translated held, arrested. Uh, and we looked at that word sick, having to do with the fever, and how that 
that basically the love of God was controlling him when he looked at the love. Again, not his love, but when he looked at the love of Christ, he was constrained. He was controlled to do uh, things he wouldn't ordinarily do. That's a spiritual thing. You know, the Bible says, um, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. A spiritual man that's filled with the Spirit of God, uh, in some ways, is likened unto that man that's under those spirits that are in that bottle. Uh, that man that's under the control of those spirits that are in a bottle will do things he never would normally do. He'll say things he never would normally say. He's lost a fear he would normally have. A spiritual man uh, is just controlled by the Spirit of God, is filled with the Spirit of God. Well, similarity, he's controlled by another spirit. He's not doing what he would normally do. What man in his right mind would knowingly go places where people are looking to kill you? Yeah, be crazy to do that. <laughs> Or controlled by the Spirit of God. And so uh, uh, so uh, he was a Spirit-filled man. Uh, he was controlled by the Spirit, that that we know. Uh, but I'm just looking practically at this thing. It said, the love of Christ constraineth us. So yes, uh, the Spirit of God was telling him where to go, what to do. And he was sensitive to that Spirit. Uh, but there was something that Paul took notice of when he uh, began to look at the great love wherewith Christ loved him. It caused him to do something with that love. Uh, and yes, we enjoy the love of God. I appreciate God's love to me. I, I enjoy it every moment that I can possibly enjoy it. I think upon his love. I, I, I'm in awe of his love that he would love somebody so vile, that he would love somebody so unlovable, and all of those wonderful things. But uh, uh, that's not merely the purpose in which Christ died for me and you. The Bible says he gave us richly all things to enjoy, and that's true. Uh, but we're not supposed to just receive it in vain and enjoy it and do nothing with it, right? Because he's going to go on and say that there's a purpose behind uh, this love. There's a purpose behind this death. There's a purpose behind what Christ did. And so he took notice of the love of Christ that constrained him, controlled him. And he said that we just judge that if he died for one, then we're all dead. Uh, so he looked further past. He looked beyond the, uh, the manifestation of the problem in the sins and the lives of people. And he looked into the heart of the problem and they're dead sinners. They're going to act like lost people act. I marvel at people in churches. I've had uh, people um, tell me all the time, um, this one place I'm thinking of in particular, and uh, the, one of the first words that came out of their mouth to me is, we want, we want to build this church. We want people. We want lost people in here. We want to see people saved. We want to see, we really want young people. What we really want in this church, we want to see some young people. And uh, so we got some young people to start coming and lost young people acting like lost young people ended up putting a hole in the wall. And then all of a sudden, they didn't want young, young lost people in there anymore. Well, people can't respect the house of God right and here it went. Well, I thought you wanted them in here. Why were they surprised? That's what lost people do. Young people, you're about to face a world. You're going to go out on your job. And uh, I know many of you know this. I'm not trying to be a smart alley. But newsflash, people are going to say bad words. And you're going to have to learn what are you going to do about it. You can one of two things. You can isolate yourself from them and say, ha, I'm better than you. Or you can try to find a way to witness to them and be an influence on them while never partaking and never approving of their evil deeds. 
Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. is to rebuke those things. To have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather reprove them. So we're not supposed to be partakers. Jesus ate with sinners. But he never partook in anything they did. He loved them. He was with them. He, he, he dealt with those things. Uh, but at, at all these, always he was concerned about their soul. And we've got to remember when we're out in the world, we've got to remember that's what lost people do. Lost people cuss and they drink and they do things like that. And it's awful and I don't want to be any part of it. Uh, but I can't let that grieve me to the degree that I lose my burden and I lose my warmth and my love and my compassion for people that if they don't get Jesus they're going to die and go to hell and that's what that's what Paul was able to do it's grievous I don't like to be around it there's nothing that makes me want to smack somebody like somebody standing there cussing of all the words in the English language you gotta you can't you're, you're ignorant enough you can't find a word to use other than that <laughs> drives me up a cold water. I don't like to be around it. I'll just be honest with you. And uh, I hate to hear all of it. Not because I'm better than them, but if I'm around it and I hear it too much, it's liable to come out of my mouth. You can't, you can't get around. You young people cannot get around those kind of things and fill your ears with that kind of stuff and it not affect you. And so I'm not advocating that we put ourselves in those kind of positions. What I am saying, though, is we can't get to a place where we get cold and indifferent towards them. Because the only hope we have to bridge that gap in their life is what he's going to go on and talk about next. He's going to talk about a ministry of reconciliation. And so we beseech ye in Christ's stead, as though God did beseech you by us, be ye reconciled to God. That was his message. He didn't play palsy with them. He wasn't the designated driver. <laughs> That's never going to win anybody. Anybody ever go to school and have somebody that was, bless their little old heart, say they got saved and they were trying to do right and they were trying to help everybody and somebody told them to go befriend all the drunks and go to the drunken parties and be a, be a, a, a designated driver. And I know a young man like that, he ended up drinking. You can't win lost people by being partakers with them. You've got to maintain your separation. You have to maintain your, your, your character, your dignity, your consecration. You have to maintain those things. And it's a very difficult balance. You all know what I'm talking about. To try to maintain a safe distance from, from the ungodly things of this world. But still keep your heart warm towards people. It's a difficult balance to strike. And where he found it was not looking at the lost people necessarily. Not looking at himself. Not looking at anything else. He just kept looking at Jesus. And so what he did is kept his eyes on the Lord, stayed focused on this fact that Christ loved the ungodly. He loves sinners. He loves lost people. And he wants them to come to the saving knowledge of the truth. And he's entrusted me with that message. And that is your only business that you have uh, is reaching lost people, not making pals, not making buddies. It's, 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 it's trying to reach them with a message from your king. And that message is your only hope to be reconciled to God is through the shed blood of Jesus. And uh, I don't know about you, I find it difficult. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to withdraw yourself that's easy to do. It has been very easy to just withdraw yourself and almost like you don't see what's going on. 
But I wonder how many people, there was a statistic at one time of how many people were dying in a day, and I had it, I, I don't remember it now, I'm sure it's changed, but I just got to thinking, as we withdraw ourselves uh, uh, the way that we do, I wonder how many people have gone to hell while we've been uh, just withdrawn into our little shell. Uh, I wonder how many people have died lost without the Lord. Uh, I wonder how many people we've passed without giving the gospel. I wonder how many, many people we've passed without giving a track out. Or uh, I just I don't know about you, but those things those things trouble me. I I, I hate the, that. Uh, I don't want to ever be that way. I'd like to be like Paul said, who said he was guilty of the blood of no man. Everywhere he went, he was telling people about Jesus. Everybody come across, he'd tell them something about the Lord. Maybe he'd just give them his testimony. He'd just tell them what Jesus did for him, who was before a blasphemer. Isn't that what he said? Injurious, wasted the church of God. Oh, man. But then that same Jesus struck him down one day, and he was just looking to serve, and he got saved. Got far beyond what he ever expected, and here he is now. And he's saying, what I took notice of, what I take, always try to remember here, is what motivates me in my Christian life is to consider the love of Christ. And if he loved me, should I not love others also? And so he goes on to say, I noticed that lost people were dead in their sins uh, uh, because Christ died for all, they're all dead. And he that died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So we see the gift that constrains. And then you see a glimpse of the Great Commission. Look at that verse with me again. Where, uh, and he that died, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. That is a mouthful. That is anti twenty twenty. That is anti average independent Baptist. I thought this was all about me. Where I want to go, how, what I want to say, how I want to dress, who I want to talk to, who I want to be friends with. No, 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 no. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That he died for all, that he that, he that died for those that were dead should no longer live, henceforth should no longer live unto themselves, but they should live completely sold out and under the direction of him that died for them. That was the purpose so you see the great commission in this. He's going to start talking about how, okay, I should no longer live uh, for myself any longer, but unto him that died for me. And so that now by controlling everything that I do, everywhere that I go, my friends, my, my church membership, my, my pastor, my everything is controlled uh, by him that died for me. Everything in my life should be controlled by him. I hate that it's often not in many of our lives. But it should be. He's Lord. He's purchased that right. He purchased your body. I hate to hear these liberals. It's my body. All that stuff. What a joke. Christian, if you're saved and washed in the blood of Jesus, it's not your body to do with it what you want to. In spite of what CNN or some egghead liberal tells you, the Bible said that you should no longer live henceforth unto yourself, but unto him that died for him. And so you see 
We always got to remember not just the dead in sin, but him that died for sinners. You know how intimate those, you've you, you got to remember the intimacy of what Christ did for you. It was a personal thing. Yes, he died for the sins of the whole world. Yes, he loveth and lighteth every man to come into the world. Yes, he's not willing that any should perish. We see God's love manifested to every human being that, uh, that he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he's not willing that any should perish. But he loved me. He died for you. He died for you. He died for you. This is a personal death. You've got five types of offerings that pictured this death in the Old Testament. Three of which they call sweet savor offerings. They're, they're, um, they're voluntary offerings. Uh, you've got the meat offering, the peace offering, and uh, uh, you've got the meat offering, the peace offering, and now I'm going to forget the other one. But then you've, the other two, the important two we're dealing with here, were compulsory. They were mandatory offerings that had to be made. The sin offering and the trespass offering. They were extremely personal. This wasn't some distant thing that happened that, uh, well, okay, kids, one of you go pick out one of these uh, goats, uh, one of these sheep and take it up there. And I don't want to know nothing about it. Just drop it off at the gate. And, and uh, I don't want to know anything that happened. I want to know what goes on. I just, this was extremely personal. The offerer is the one that cut the throat of the offering. So he raised this little animal, this innocent animal. This farmer would raise this animal, this animal that sustained the life of his family. This animal that, that would bring meat to his family. This animal that he could sell and buy money to purchase things for his family. They grew extremely intimately close to those animals because those animals were their livelihood. Many of you do the same thing. Take your dog to the groomers. Get his little old hair cut. Little fingernails clipped. I've seen them painted before. I've seen anxiety jackets they put on them. You wouldn't believe how crazy people go over an animal. An animal that ain't going to heaven anyway. I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't, that wasn't necessary. I apologize for that one. Now listen, I want to get lost on my train of thought here. That offering was extremely intimate. It wasn't some distant thing that just, it was extremely, extremely intimate. That offer, when he brought and he committed a sin and he trespassed the Lord, he would bring that offering. This is, this is in addition to the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go in for himself and then for the people. This would happen throughout the week various times. If you would do something, you would take this offering and you would go up before the, high, before the priest and you would bring that offering in. I'd like for you to play a sheep. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. He'd bring that little sheep in. They get a nervous wreck. They sweat as bad as I do now. He'd bring that sheep in. He'd, he'd bring this thing, Brother Reed, he may have had to bottle feed that little thing. I remember we used to get them little Holstein bulls off them cattle farms and uh, off them milk farms and raise them on the bottom. And they'd be like a little baby to you. A lot of them wouldn't make it. They'd get disease and all, you know. But uh, uh, you'd get close to them because you fed them every morning with a bottle. And they'd, boy, they'd knock you like a, like a boxer. They'd just knock on you. And it was fun fooling with them. And you'd get close to them. And, uh, but anyway, it, it wasn't nearly as close because I wasn't living by these. But these people 
people were raising these animals. They were their livelihood. And they would bring the best that they had. They couldn't bring. Uh, I, <laughs> I had some I'd like to take to somebody shoot it in the head. Uh, but uh, they couldn't do that. They had to bring the best of the best. The one that didn't have a blemish. The one that grew the best. The healthy. The best stock that he had. That's what he had to bring as an offering. And he would bring that thing up there. And the priest would come out. And he would inspect it and make sure it was proper of course. And uh, unless it was a turtle dove or something of the poor that, that, would, that would come in. The offerer would be the one that would have to place his hand on the head of that animal. And that would transfer, picturing now, would transfer the vileness of the offerer into the, um, uh, would be transferred into the offering. So um, unlike the burnt offering, when they would burn the offering, that would be in which the, the, the righteousness, the purity of the sacrifice would be transferred to the, to the offer. Then the sin offering the vileness of that transpasser, the vileness of that sinner would be transferred to the head of that animal and then he would slay and personally cut the throat and kill that thing. Now, I don't know about you. I got no problem shooting a deer at 200 yards. But I, I have bad heart. I don't know if I could go up to one and just... I've about gotten soft anyway, but I can't hardly shoot them anymore because I think about the deer as the deer panteth for the water. But anyway, I know some. <laughs> so, uh, I got off my train of thought here. But uh, I don't know that I could just personally go up there and cut that thing's throat and watch it bleed all. I don't know if I could. I mean, I guess I could. I, uh, that'd be tough. It, it wasn't like you just brought it to the priest and then you stepped away and just let it go up there and you didn't ever know what happened. You were the one. It was an intimate. And what we have to remember, my, my whole point of that is just to say this. We have to remembering that that death that Christ died for you, that it is an intimate, it is something, he did that for you. This is an intimate offering that he made. Yes, he made it for the sins of the world, but he went and tasted death for every man and that included me. He was the priest and the propitiation. He was the offerer and the offering. He offered himself on the cross. He laid his own life down. Nobody took it from him. He offered himself as a lamb. <laughs> and he did that personally. He did that for you. And what Paul was saying here, he said, not only when I consider, I look at the, the dead sinners, I look at the, the Savior that died for us. I consider how uh, that they, uh, they were all dead, yes, but he also died for all. And we ought to look at people like that. That's not just some filthy person. That, that's somebody in whom Christ died for. And uh, so he considers not only the, the gift that constrains, we see a glimpse here, we see anyhow the great commission and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, uh, let me move on here quickly. Therefore, let's see, uh, verse number 16. And this is what I touched on a little bit. We won't go back over that. But I have some verses that I was going to go over, but we're not going to have time for that. Uh, but in this next verse is where I, was start, where I was talking about this morning. Verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Paul's whole view has changed now. And, and the same thing happened to me. When I got saved, I don't look at people the same anymore. 
I don't look at my children the same anymore. Before, you looked at your children as raising up a name for yourself. They're going to carry on the family name. They're going to, I got saved and I looked at them. Now the Bible says they're, children, they're, they're His, that He gave to us. He loaned them to us. They're a heritage of the Lord. They're to be raised up in the fear of God and be given to the Lord to serve Him. My view changed of everything. So, so now that there can't be any personal interest into my raising of them. I'm raising them unto the Lord now. My view changed of everything. I don't look at my wife the same. I don't look at church people the same. Boy, I didn't like church people. And I fell in love with them. Your view changed. And that's what he's saying here. No more do I know people after the flesh anymore. We see spiritually now. And now when I look at people, I don't see a drunk. I don't see a, a, a harlot. I don't see a doper. I see somebody that needs Jesus, a lost, dying soul that needs God. That's what he's saying. His whole view, no more do I know people after the flesh anymore. I don't know them after the manner of men anymore. I see them spiritually. And he says the same thing about Christ. My view of Jesus has changed. I know him like I've never known him. I don't know him as some historical figure. I don't know him as a creed to be recited. I know him as the living, true God. Simon Bartholomew, who do men say that I am? Right? Men say you're Elias, some John the Baptist, some a prophet. Who do you think? Who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Bartone, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto me, but my Father which is in heaven. I don't see him the same anymore. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's a rock cut out of the mountain without hands. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's, he's the, he, he is by him all things consist. All things were created by him and for him. He's everything to my soul. He's my life. He's everything. My view of everything has changed now so that I don't know people after the flesh anymore and I don't know Jesus after the flesh anymore. I know Him after the Spirit now. I have a spiritual knowing of Him now. Now theology is good. Understanding is good. Get all the understanding you can get about who He is. I'm not talking about that. But that's not all that we have. I know Him on a level far beyond my brain. So do you if you're saved. And uh, so now, wherefore, his, we know no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. And that's all that I did know him as, some historical figure based on a set of facts. You, you, can't, you can't reason together historical facts and come to the safe knowledge of the truth. <laughs> but he said, though, I did know him after the flesh. I, I, I was told all these things. There came a point in my life which I don't know him like that. He's not a historical figure that did good and lived a long time ago. He is somebody that raised himself from the dead and he's alive today. <laughs> Wonderful. I wouldn't trade this for nothing in the world. Would you? Being a Christian, I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. <laughs> I'd rather be an old-time Christian, saved, born again, going to heaven. I wouldn't trade it with, I don't care how much money you couldn't buy what me and you got in us tonight. Money wouldn't even buy it, he said. Mm. Now, 
We got we to gotta go. Therefore, henceforth, though we know man after the flesh, and so we know Christ, yes, we've knew, we knew him after the flesh, but yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, sure he is. He, he don't even see the same anymore. Everything about this man's changed. Everything he hated, he loves now. Everything he loved, he hates now. Everything about this person's changed. He's a totally new creature. He's a twice-born human, uh, I mean, uh, who's got God living inside of him, sealed to the day of redemption by the Holy Ghost, which is the earnest, and he's waiting for the adoption to wit, that is the redemption of his body. And inside of him dwells somebody that John said could never sin. It's not possible. Boy, that's a blessing, isn't it? That what God birthed in you is sealed by the Holy Ghost. He can never sin. I made him do a little Joe Bryant kick every now and then. Only he can do that like, like that. Oh boy, it stirs my heart, isn't it? So a man that's saved, uh, and this is what bothers me, don't, don't, don't talk to me about a person professing Jesus, coming down the aisle, slapping his bubble gum with his hat turned around backwards, no contrition, no brokenness, repeat a prayer, go home and end up the same drunk he's always been. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying this man's complete, he has completely changed in every aspect, in every facet of this being. This man's no longer what he was before. He's a new creature now. He doesn't see people the same, doesn't see the Savior the same. His understanding's been enlightened by the Holy Ghost. Everything about this person's different now. God didn't change. Right? Some people give the idea that the atonement brought about some kind of mercy in God. That before, God was some mean, hateful, uh, unforgiving person that forced people to live under some cruel law. And, and then Jesus came and died, and now he's loving and merciful. That is, that is malarkey. The cries of our children drowning in a river is not going to cause me to love them. It's not going to cause me to rescue them. It's the love that I had prior to the ever hearing the cry to begin with that would risk life and limb to rescue them from drowning. It's the love that God had long before the world was for men and women that caused him to save you. It wasn't, it wasn't um, God's merciful not because of the atonement. He's always been merciful. He's always been loving. He's always been kind. God didn't change. You did. He's not a new creature. You are. Hallelujah. Some people go, you have to go to school to be that stupid. You'd have to read a book to think like that. And you'd have to have a degree to think in those, those, those lines. That's what happens to a lot of these guys. They read too many books and they don't read the book. God didn't change. He's always been loving. The Bible said he stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's chosen us in the beloved before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever sin. Before there was ever a garden. Before there was ever a law to obey. There was a loving God that, went to, that meant to send a Savior to save men from his sin. Calvary wasn't plan B to make God love people. He loved you long before Calvary. Woo! I say thank God, hallelujah, glory, uh, and any other words you can think of. 
Now, therefore, if he be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Boy, I love that verse, don't you? Can't you think back when you got saved? Everything was different. I don't know how big flying a dead horse, but it's amazing. I mean, even to walk outside was different. You view everything different. It's, it's a miracle of God. Uh, anyhow, we got, we got to look at this last part and dealing with this genuine concern because I've used my time here. But um, So if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us, not him, but reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't have to, but he chose to do that. He didn't have to save you, but he chose to. And he didn't have to let you serve, but he chose to. And he entrusted you with a message and a ministry. I'll give you the boring definition because I like Webster's 1828 dictionary because it's based a lot upon the Bible, our King James Bible. But uh, he has this word. Well, let, let, me, let me continue reading quickly. And all things are of God who has reconciled us himself by Jesus Christ. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us. It's not just pastors. It's not just preachers. We all have a ministry. And that ministry is to see to people and to beseech people in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our number one focus is to bring glory to Christ, to bring glory to God and what he wants us. How do you want glory, Lord? I want you to love one another. And one of, his, one of the greatest ways in all the world that we can do that is to take this ministry that we have and this word of reconciliation and tell a lost and a dying world, how can they believe in him they're not heard? And how can they hear unless they have a preacher? We have got to preach the gospel. It, the gospel message is not something that's shared. It's not, it's not a negotiation. It's a declaration, a proclamation to people that your only hope is Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. That is your only hope. There's no gray area. There's no, well, it's a little bit of words and a little bit of both. It is, it, is, it is simple Bible repentance and faith in a person whose name in Jesus, or you will go to hell when you die. There's no room for Muhammad. There's no room for Catholicism. There's no room for Mary. There's no room for anybody else. It's Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing, and you are hopeless without him. That's our message to the world. Like it, lump it, bump it, or jump it. That's all we've got to offer. Churchill said, I've got nothing to offer Hitler but blood, sweat, toil, and tears. I've got nothing to offer this world but the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. I can accomplish nothing in their lives. It is not by the works of righteousness which ye have done. It is none of our power, none of our ability, and none of our fancy words. It is a simple message that you must receive my faith or you will go to hell when you die. And that's the message. That's the ministry we've been entrusted with. And that ought to be our number one focus. Oh, we get so sidetracked on other things. And our, our focus should be this great ministry of reconciliation. Because to, to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Boy, I wish we had more time. Sorry, Jehovah's Witness. Uh, Jesus was more than a prophet, more than a good man. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He was God. He is God. He shall be God. Was, is, always will be. He is God. Isn't that wonderful? God was in Christ reconciling the world himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And I wanted to go and look at some of those verses, but you remember uh, that poor lady? You remember what Jesus said to her, all the mess that she was in? And he said, woman, where are, the, where are those thine accusers? And does no man condemn thee? She said, no man, Lord. What did he tell her? You filthy, no good for nothing. Get away from me. No. And then go and sin no more. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. What a miracle of God. You know what he does now? You, that imputation, that is denied. We are about the only uh, religion that teaches that. Uh, most, most religions in the world, there's only really two types, attainment and atonement. And you know which one we are. Atonement. Imputed righteousness. That means, that means God, you were guilty, but God didn't lay it to your charge. That means the reproaches, their reproaches that reproached him fell on Christ. Boy, that's a good exchange, isn't it? And all of his glory, all of his righteousness, you get that. Why? Can anybody tell me why? The love of Christ that constraineth us. I have no idea why. But I know it's so. And he takes all the bad, and you get all the good, imputed righteousness, just as just in heaven as Christ himself. Wow, what a miracle. And then me and you having that answer for people. This isn't to shame anybody. Every person in this building is guilty of it at one time or another. Please don't. I'm not attacking nobody. I'm the least of all saints. But the thing sometimes we've been given such an incredible gift and we can just walk by people like they're nothing. Oh, man. We're going to have a lot to answer for one day. And the good news is we don't have to keep doing that. We can stop it anytime we want to. All we got to do is just open our mouth and just tell them what Jesus did for you. So, well, I don't know. I'm not a good talker. I don't know what I'm going to say. Just tell them how the Lord saved you. You don't have to be a theologian to tell them that. And they start getting involved in a lot of other questions anyway. Don't even get involved in all that. Just tell them, look, God's good, sin's bad. He died for you. You've got to believe on him. That's about all a person needs to know. Don't get involved in all that. They always want to come back and say, well, what do you think about a person that's been divorced? Can they be And here we go. Well, what does that matter? I'm trying to talk to you about Jesus. But they always go on some kind of crazy thing. Don't do that. Your ministry is reconciling, getting people reconciled to God through Jesus. Your ministry is to tell them that Christ loves them and died for them. And if they'll repent and believe, they can be born again. We can argue about the Revelation chapter 4 and 5 later. Let's make sure you get in first. Amen. Now, we, we definitely got to go now. Uh, let's just read the, to the end here because we're done. Not imputing their trespasses unto them 
And I wanted to look over this word committed, but you remember first Peter, we looked at that committed, but talking about Jesus, he committed himself unto him that judges righteously. Here we've got committed again. He's committed to you the ministry of, he's entrusted that to us. Now it's not our business to make sure people believe it. I think that's where the new age Christian stuff comes along. They're trying to build a kingdom. I'm not a kingdom builder. I don't know where all that stuff comes from. But I'm not to see to get warm bodies around. I'm not, I'm not here to add to the church. My job's not to make sure people believe it. My job is to make sure they get it. Whether they believe it's on them. Then you can't get discouraged because, well, I've not seen any results or I didn't see somebody say, don't worry about that. God's not going to judge you by whether or not they believed it. He's going to judge you by whether or not you gave it to them. So just be faithful to give it out to them, believing it's on them. There's a place that you have to leave your loved ones with God. There's a place that you have to stop, mom and dad, mamma and papa. There's a place we have to stop. We end and God picks up. God's responsible to work into their heart a, a, a drawing. It's his responsibility to draw. It's his responsibility to illuminate the mind. It's his responsibility. That's God's business. And it's their responsibility to repent and believe it, not mine. I just want to encourage you. A lot of people get discouraged because they don't see results. Don't worry about that. Just be faithful to give it out because that's your ministry. Your ministry is not to make them get it, to believe it. Your ministry is to make sure they hear it. Now, uh, verse 20. So then now then, we, we, we won't do this to you. Uh, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray in Christ to be reconciled to God. And that word ambassador is a minister of the highest rank employed by one prince or state at the court of another to manage the public concerns of his own prince or state representing the power and dignity of his sovereign. And that's what we do. We come in the name of God. We beseech you. God is beseeching you by us and telling you the gospel. And we beg you, be you reconciled to God. Hey, the time's short. The end of all things are at hand. I, I mean, I, I don't know uh, the time. Nobody knows the times and all those things. But uh, Jesus could come at any minute. There's nothing withholding to keep him from coming. I don't believe there's one single thing that has to take place for Jesus to come. And so we better do what we're going to do for the Lord and get it done quickly. And if you're not saved... No time is the time to get saved like right now. I never see in the Bible where it says, get saved tomorrow. Do it when you get older. Do it when you get married. Do it when you feel better. Do it when you're more comfortable. Do it when you're not embarrassed. Now, today, that's what it's always telling you. Now, uh, so let's read the last verse together. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Boy, that's, isn't, I mean, just think about that verse again. He hath made him to be sin for us. <laughs> we could be here all night thinking about that. Why would God? Well, I appreciate you all being here tonight. I, I, I don't want to, but I think about these things. Why would God? He made him to be sin. Now, that goes a long way. That's, that's uh, more than just. He imputed, he counted, he, he placed the sins who bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's more than that. The Bible says he became sin, singular, for us. God made him to be sin for us. 
I mean, even in that, for me and you, does that not blow your mind? What did you deserve that the God of all of heaven and creation died for you? Who are you to deserve that? But he gave himself, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Just so that you can be made the righteousness of God in him. And you deserve none of it. Why would we not want to share that? That blows my mind. What, what is it about us Baptists? We just, what makes us not want somebody else to get in on that? There's plenty to go around. They're not going to take any of your inheritance. We're co. We're, we're, hundred and, we're splitting 100%. We're not, I don't get 25 and you 25 and you 25 and you. <laughs> You're not going to cut in on mine. There's plenty of God's grace to go around. Where sin abounded, grace did much more. He giveth more grace. He's got an abundance of grace. Why do we want to be selfish with it? Let's make sure the world gets the message. Let's do all we can while there's time, while we're alive, to make our lives count for something eternal. I don't know of anything better to do than tell the world about Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's just do all we can. Missions, giving, uh, missions, going. And let's do all we can while there's still time to see people saved.